five, four, three, three two, two, one. one. Nope. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> okay. Five, five four, four, three, three two, two, one. one. There you go. Right. Yeah, I don't know how it pulls that up. <laughs> <laughs> this was Lethal Weapon right. 2, we'd be dead. <laughs> I mean, if this was Lethal Weapon 2, I'd, I'm not I'm not backing our chances. I'm not in the physical shape of Mel Gibson. But I'm less anti-Semitic, so you know, swings and roundabouts. Um, right. There's a cool one. <laughs> A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slug, Stardate 63. These are the continued voyages of this podcast as we watch all of Star Trek. It's me, Eddie, and Mark, as always. Mark, how are you doing? I'm very well. Uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom has come out. And uh, to, to call it a masterpiece would be... Here's the problem, right? <laughs> now, I know, that, I, know that, I know the nature of linear time. Um, I understand that, right? Things in the past, they were back then. Things in the future, yet to happen. Right now, I mean, who knows? Am I the only conscious being in the entire universe? Quite possibly. <laughs> but, because I feel like the... I mean, I, that th- there is a good chance that that is the case, right? Because I feel like the way that most people irritate me is like how my brain would write them as irritating me. Um, And a lot of my problems are are quite petty. Anyway, my point being, um, Zelda Breath of the Wild, I I would describe as as one of Nintendo's greatest masterpieces. And this game has made Zelda Breath of the Wild look like a first draft. See, I loved Breath of the Wild. I... I, I genuinely think it's one of the best Zelda games ever made. I don't think it's got the replayability of some of the other Zeldas because I just I think the joy is in the discovery in that game. So I don't think you get that. Um, I am saving Tears of the Kingdom. I have a one week holiday in Crete coming up, and screw reading by the Paul Sod like some sort of fucking nerd. Uh, I'm going to be playing the Zelda game. <laughs> don't bring Zelda on that holiday if Emma wants to do other things. <laughs> no, her exact words were feel free to bring it while so you can play it while we're by the poolside because I don't want to talk to you. Uh so <laughs> I've got uh Virgin Media coming uh to uh to install our our new like our new system and uh they text me and you know you know normally you they'll they're like, Oh, we'll be here between this time and this time. Um so I, I have to stay in the house the whole time. Uh, and they text me, and they said, we'll be there sometime between 10am and 6pm, and I'm like, fucking fantastic. 
<laughs> I'm just going to sit in front of the telly and play Zelda and nothing else. And then when he yeah, comes, when the guy comes round, I'll I'll welcome him in. I'll say, "Would you like a cup of tea?" He, there's beer in the fridge or whatever. I don't know, but just, I don't. I, you don't drink it. It's just a polite thing to say. But uh, I'll be over here p- p- building things. <laughs> I did see a Guardian article because obviously they do gaming coverage, and there was a Guardian article saying, "Oh, I think it's." For some reason, they were with 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 the new Zelda game coming out. Well, let's write a Zelda article, and their Zelda article was: "It's time to stop overlooking the masterpiece that was the Wind Waker." And I was like, "Right, it's it's, it's well, Wind Waker is critically acclaimed, ten out of ten by most outlets, and also the eighth best-selling Zelda game of all time." <laughs> and also, if, if anyone knows enough about games to. I, to know that the Wind Waker is a thing, the <laughs> like the 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 pocket response to graphics don't have to keep getting better all the time. Uh, they don't have to keep getting more realistic because we are we are never quite really going to capture that. Is the Wind Waker like yeah? The Wind Waker could, looks like it could have come out yesterday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's a uh, like a. What twenty year old game at this point? <sighs> Madness. But yeah, yeah that's, that's. I don't want to consider how old the GameCube is because it's going to make me sad for my yeah. own mortality. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's me. How have how have you been? Um, yeah, like I told you, I'm reading the Terry Pratchett uh, biography, which is it's 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 great. It's a brilliant book. Um, it's very fucking sad. It's also yeah. very fucking amusing because. Terry Pratchett, if you don't know, before he became an author, did briefly have a job where he was the PR communicator for the uh, Nuclear Power Authority in the UK. And um, on w- the entirety of that job was basically doing drills. So that, like, if something bad happens, this is what we're going to do. And on the one occasion that the, the, the phone rang to say, like, an actual emergency had occurred... Uh, Terry Pratchett uh, ended up hospitalised as a result of a panic attack. So, <laughs> so what I'm saying is, just because you're not good at one thing, it doesn't mean you can't go on to be Britain's most beloved fantasy author uh, and then briefly lose that title to somebody else and then easily win it back after your death and their descent into bigotry. <laughs> yeah, Terry Pratchett. All I say about him... He was pretty fly for a white guy. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> today we're talking about the episode The Offspring. <laughs> In comedy, we call that a link. <laughs> I I was genuinely have spent... I watched this episode because uh, we didn't record last week. I watched this about two weeks ago. And I have oh, yeah. spent the last two weeks absolutely furious because Dexter Holland, lead singer for The Offspring as you might know, does have a PhD. And unfortunately, it's in molecular biology, which has no link whatsoever to the subject matter of this episode. Oh. And I, I, if only he'd been like a, a roboticist, a nanotechnology expert, physics, yeah. anything, I would have been, yeah, but no. Do you know who go. else has a PhD? The terrible video game movie director, Uwe Boll. <laughs> he has an, a PhD in English literature. So he funda- he he objectively understands how a story works, and yet can't make a film. 
And, but to be fair, given that his response to criticisms of his movie production was to fly critics out to box him, I've maybe he just intimidated the uh, the like selection like the committee that you had to present the dissertation to. It's like turns up, walks in, they go, "So, what's your uh, defense of your thesis?" And he's just like. Puts on a pair of brass knuckles. Goes, Here's my defence. Yeah. I I have got written down on this that this is probably the most heartbreaking episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation that we have watched or will watch. Like yeah. it it exists only to make you feel bad in a weird and unusual way that you'd never considered before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's something there's something truly sad about the um about ch- people who have the mind of a child but they are in the body of an adult. Uh if you've ever seen the Robin Williams film Jack it's it's a it's a bit like that. I don't really have I, I'm not really going anywhere with that. I just wanted to remind you that Robin Williams made the film Jack and it's it's not. It's not very good. <laughs> it's, I, it's, it's. It's. To be fair, it's a problem with the marketing of Jack. Is in it was kind of sold as like, it was kind of sold as like a Rob Schneider movie. Robin Williams is Jack, a man strapped in the body of a child. Bah, bah, bah. But but actually, it's it's quite a, a, a horrifying movie about a man whose life will only be one quarter of what it should be. The thing I remember most about Jack is that I believe part of its marketing, part of its marketing, is that in the film The Lost World Jurassic Park, the T-Rex destroys a blockbuster, and the most prominent cardboard cutout that you see is Jack. And there's there's no way that Spielberg uh, (laughs) wouldn't, like, would have allowed that to be the case if if it wasn't pre-planned. Who was I don't Jack know I don't know why you would need to market Jack's VHS release as if it was suddenly going to have like a second wind on home video the way that Patch Adams did because loads of people had Patch Adams on VHS didn't they even though Patch Adams was shite well Patch Adams is not only shite it's offensive to to be clear if you, if you don't know the story uh, about Patch Adams um, there is a real man named Patch Adams and. The movie is based on his life, and when I say based on his life, you know, Patch's girlfriend gets killed by the um, the man who like he's insane, but they're not treating him properly because they're trying to treat him with jokes, and that is based on a real event that happened, but it didn't happen to his girlfriend. It happened to his close personal friend, but they just changed the details around because they thought it made a better story. At which point, you're allowed to say fuck that movie. <laughs> is that what happens in that movie? Because I, I don't really remember that movie at all. <laughs> yeah, that that is part of that movie, and it is notable for one important thing. Because at that woman's funeral, one of the mourners is Greg Sestero. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> like in a pre the room when he was still trying to make it as an actual actor, and not like a thing that we look at and go, look at that, look at that man who thought he could do things. Uh, <laughs> if a radio station called me up. As they often do, and said, "You can have a million pounds, but you have to explain the plot of Patch Adams even slightly more than just Robin Williams is a doctor who tries to cure people with laughter or whatever." <laughs> if you can give us a single other detail about that film, 
you can have one million quid. And this 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 is why, <laughs> you know, radio station capitalism is really falling apart these days. <laughs> If you um, if you listen if you listen to the radio quite often, which I which I do every now and again, especially if I'm driving, it used to be that every now and again the radio stations would do like a big money giveaway, and it would be like, uh, oh, it's the cash register. We're going to start off at twenty thousand pounds, and we'll get, it's, every time someone doesn't win it, we'll roll over, we'll add another five grand every day until it gets up to like a hundred. That's the, the crazy day. It'll be like you you have to pick up your phone within five rings and you have to with and you can't say hello, you have to just immediately yeah. scream the correct amount at us. Radio stations now literally and that was like a special event, like they would have, that would be the summer event. Radio stations now literally do that every single day if you listen to Absolute or Magic. And it's two pounds to enter, and I genuinely think <laughs> it's just because of the cost of living crisis that everyone's like, I because we all know that the lottery is like a tax on idiocy, right? I, 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 I will play the lottery, yeah. especially the Euro Millions, if it's more than a hundred million. Not because I feel like I win it, but because if I put down my two fifty and I get my line, it gives me. I think we've spoken to this before. It gives me that thirty minutes permission, yeah, to just be like, "What would I do with a hundred million pounds?" and <laughs> a lot of people would be getting the wall because I presume I'd be having a lot of power at that point. I was on the train the other day and a guy was just watching Return of the Jedi on his laptop without <laughs> any headphones. And I was like, this guy's the... This, he's fussed it. <laughs> if it was New Hope, fine. If it was Empire, great. I'm to watch New Jedi. Hope. Jedi, come on now. New Hope doesn't have any significant spoilers for the whole trilogy. That you're gonna. What if there's somebody who's never watched the movies before, like a little kid, and he's gonna look up and hear, "Oh no, this is a fully operational battle station." Equally, I'm apologising now if you're listening to this podcast and you've never watched Return of the Jedi. It turns out the battle station's fully operational. Yeah, and um, Luke is on the battle station, the fully operational battle station, and his sister Leia is. Yeah, the, oh, it's just him and his dad. Oh no. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> What a fucking pointless addition to the story that was, wasn't it? Making Leia Luke's sister. Where did that come from? On it, who thought that was a good idea? Desperately trying to recapture the success of the first two movies. Is it just because they wanted Han Solo to be shagging Luke's sister? Because that's the type of thing he would do. Harrison Ford basically said, yeah. "Look, I want you to, I want you to kill my character in Empire," and they went, "Well, we're gonna, we want to keep him alive," and he went, "I will only come back for a third movie if you let me fuck Hamill's sister." And then they went, well, we can't orchestrate that in real life, but what if we wrote it into the script? <laughs> yeah. As, 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 a, as the character Han Solo, one of the most honourable things he ever does is at one point he's hanging out with Leia on Endor and, he's, and he says, like, oh, Luke, you, you miss Luke? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, you love him, don't you? She says, well, yes. And he's like, Listen, that's fine. When he gets back, I'll step away, right? Because uh, she fancies Luke, so that's that's it. That's the one good thing he ever really does. Because as soon as she says, "Oh no, you misunderstand. He's my brother," he's like even better. That 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 literally makes me early early scripts. Actually, Luke comes back from the planet to find Leia banging Chewie. Uh... <laughs> but anyway, Data makes yeah. a daughter. <laughs> do you know? Do you, do you recognise the daughter? Yep. My in my 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 classic measure for no. how 
good are that bloke an actor somebody is seven murder she wrote appearances only two characters so i'm guessing that's a repairman but this is the actress who played lizzie mcguire's mum i have never seen a single episode of lizzie mcguire no neither have but i that, but could... i understand it's cultural relevance. yeah exactly yeah i'm not going <laughs> to say that no one should watch it that's that's un that's yeah. unfair but you know well done. No, but if you as an actor, if you land a gig in all of the Lizzie McGuire franchise, that's that's run like that's had multiple reboots. I'm so I'm imagining all of the times they've come back to it, Lizzie's mum's turned up. It doesn't seem like the sort of franchise that's going to handle dead mums. So she's she's been there all the yeah, way through. It, so that's good. That feels like the type of role where it's like you're never going to be rich, but you could have a modest house and never really have to work again. Yeah. 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 And there's a whole generation of people who are probably going to see you and instantly go, ah, right. And that's and and really is that isn't that enough? <clears throat> Did you see that David Zaslav done the the speech at the graduation ceremony at Boston University? <laughs> Head, head of Warner Brothers, I did. David Zaslav, and all the students just started chanting, "Pay your writers," <laughs> because who the fuck thought it would be a good idea to get to to talk to a bunch of people who are about to go into a career, presumably many of whom in the creative arts, a man who would happily see them destitute or working for absolute minimum wage if it meant that he kept making money. Which, to be fair, is basically everyone that I imagine that they invite to a graduation ceremony. I'm going to say this. If David Zaslav um, has had any fucking courage of his convictions, he would have had an AI write his speech. Yeah. <laughs> and just stun whatever it said. But, no. <laughs> so, Data creates a daughter. I And again, I watched this episode about two weeks ago, so I can't really remember any of the details. He just does it, like, in his spare time, right? Yeah, he does it, and then Picard's like, why didn't you tell me you were doing this? And Data, quite rightly, is like, well, nobody else has to ask you for permission to procreate. And, and, and Picard's like, technically cracked, Data, but there's only two of you that we've ever encountered, and one was evil, so I feel like I should have been given a heads up. That entire scene <laughs> is incredible, right? Because Picard, after Data sort of shows up and says... This is my daughter. I I made her in my spare time, uh, which is how I'm going to describe my own kids. <laughs> Pic- Picard, I think that's the, the the cold open, and then we get the titles, and then it's Picard and Data in Picard's office, and the whole interaction where yeah, Data is obviously broaching like quite a lot of the themes of the episodes. You can tell that Picard's motivation was. Don't let Data do this, because if he does, it means I'm going to have to speak to an admiral. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Yeah, and then later on, of course, he does speak to an admiral. Uh, to, to be fair, there's, I, I should I shouldn't need to clarify this. Data's daughter isn't a fairly well-known character in Star Trek, so you can guess how this episode fucking ends. She malfunctions, and the malfunctions is that she experiences emotions, which includes fear, and then she dies. <laughs> <laughs> It's the the entire episode is just like from the moment it starts. Like even if you even if you even if you had never seen Star Trek, any Star Trek before, the moment the episode starts, you know that she's gonna die. Yeah, because that is the only reason you do an episode like this. Yeah, and it's it's so sad. <laughs> what if <clears throat> what if he just sent her away to go and live in a nunnery? Yeah, she, that was her malfunction. She believes in God. And 
did you catch who directed this episode? By this way? was the first ever episode of Star Trek directed by one of its cast members. Uh, this because this was Jonathan Frakes' debut. Now, technically, Nimoy and Shatner had directed movies. This was the first episode ever done by a by a uh, an actor. Yeah. Apparently, it's Michael, one of Michael Dorn's and one of um, Patrick Stewart's favorite episodes. That's nice because uh, they just they just like kids dying. Uh, that's like their favorite thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite things that I read about this episode was the uh, about the production of this episode is that at one point so so right so the, the story of this episode is data creates the offspring right they go away they have many top 10 hits and then in his spare time from managing that rock band uh he he builds a daughter and you, the first thing the first time you see her it's it's fucked up right it's like it, it like she looks uh like uh like if like if a six foot fetus had been in a car crash, yeah. And he's like, look, look, look at her, isn't she great? It's all got like angular and weird in the face. Yeah, she looks a bit like Crichton from Red Dwarf, but without a proper mouth. And she gets to choose the the uh, the fucking uh, the the visage uh, that she gets to present to the world. But she is a child, right? She doesn't know anything. She's a bit like season one data. Everything is new to her. Everything is is needed to be learned. So she goes to Guinan for some uh, for some advice, and she says, "You know what? What is love? What is attraction, etc." And in the script, Guinan said, "Well, love is when a man and a woman fall in love." And apparently, Whoopi Goldberg was like, "No, I, of course not. Star Trek is well beyond that." It, so they changed it to when two people are in love, which is quite nice. Yeah. Uh, Good. They were also then going to show a same-sex couple holding hands in the background, uh, but then someone quote someone ran to a phone and made a phone call to the production office, and that was next. Uh, David Livingston came down and made sure that that didn't happen. And that David Livingston, being the producer of Star Trek, not the explorer from Canada, uh, sorry, the explorer from Hamilton, <laughs> uh, who discovered Victoria Falls. And by discovered, I mean came across. I'm assuming the people who lived in the area were aware of it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I can I can see why Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, Jesus Christ, I understand why maybe not putting a same-sex couple in the background holding hands. This was still the '80s. Maybe I get it, but yeah, just have the balls to fucking do that shit. Yeah, but also don't fucking tell me that Star Trek is is only just gone woke. You fucking yeah, like she should have turned around and said if. Ted Danson has the balls to do blackface at my roast, then you can have the balls to do this. That's a real thing that happened, by the way. Look that up. Yeah, it's a real image. Um, and it's not even just blackface. It's full neutral. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I have a question about this that I have to raise, which is that Data explains to Bev at a certain point in this episode that he doesn't love his daughter because he isn't capable of 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 love and this again brings up my ongoing theory is like obviously data can't feel love but can he think it because the way brent spiner is playing this there isn't 
Like it's 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 a it's a difficult performance to give if you're an actor where it's like well, somebody's going to be throwing emotions at you and you've got to give nothing back. Yeah, but there is a little hint in Data's eyes of maybe like well you don't create a daughter if you don't. Well, he he kind of presents it as being purely practical, doesn't he? Because he's he's like, well, in regular procreative species, people procreate so that their legacy will live on. Whereas I am the only one of this. Yeah. So if I die, that god, what are you going to do? You're going to go and get lore. Yeah. Which is the same thing that the admiral who turns up later to take Lull away is like, oh, we need to take her to the Daystrom Instrument because if something happens to the Enterprise and we lose data, she'll be gone. He's basically making the argument that you should always back up your data. <laughs> it, which is odd because he didn't... They don't seem to have that problem before data has a kid. Well, no, they, oh no, sorry, they do. That was the plot of Measure of a Man. And they do like that that Measure of a Man gets referenced. Like, Picard's like, Data has rights. I helped define them. Screw you. And, and basically, the Admiral is like, well, yeah, it's an odd one, this episode, because they're basically going to order Data to hand over his daughter. Yeah. And Data's going to say, Data, it seems he's going to say yes until, like, Picard goes, no, you don't have to do that. Yeah. What? What is this? Modern day <laughs> Florida? Topical. <laughs> you, Data, unfortunately, you did let your daughter choose her gender, so that does mean that you forfeited any rights. Because, as we all know, the the laws of Starfleet are heavily based on the laws of modern day Florida. And Data's just like, I just want to go to fucking Disneyland. I just want to see Epcot. Just want to go on the Frozen ride. Stop taking away my kids. <laughs> Um, I also like that we get to see Picard in his sexy pyjamas for no reason. I have taken three notes about this episode and one of them was about that pyjama top. It's quite (laughs) sexy, isn't it? I I like that that Picard... See, as I was saying um, on the last episode, talking about the Illurians, I kind of hate it when everything needs to be over-explained. We don't really need to know everything. Some things should remain a mystery. Otherwise, what else do you, what else would you talk about? Um, but what Picard does in his quarters, I want to know nothing more about. Every now and again, I want to cut to <laughs> Picard's quarters when he's got on his sexy pajama top that's split down to the navel. Uh, I want to know what is. I don't want to know what the relaxation light is all about. That's I have my like I have my own theories about that. Why does he sleep? Why does he have a single bed? Don't know. Who cares? Because he's the captain. Because surely, again, as we've always... Picard only fucks standing up. Great. (laughs) That's fine. I'll take that. Because he's the captain of the fucking Enterprise. Like, he's he's following Kirk and Pike. Like, the designers of the Enterprise D were like, obviously the captain has to have the most fuckable bed (laughs) in the Federation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because Riker, he'll do it wherever. He'll beam down to the planet. That's what he did. He was like, no, we're doing a different thing on this Enterprise. Put the double bed in in, in Riker's uh, quarters. I just want I just want a window. Yeah. I want a window. There's only one double bed on the whole Enterprise. 
Ensign Jensen has been specifically requested not to make any more of them. In fact, there's two double beds. One of them goes to Riker, and the other one goes to the Dolphin uh, family. Because the Dolphins actually... You might not know this, the Dolphins had a better union than the humans. Because they didn't get bogged down in the minute details. All they wanted was the double bed. They want fish and a double bed. And that's it. That's their two demands. And... As anyone who's ever done any industrial action should know, the less demands that you have and the more focused your demands are, the more likely you are to get what you want, I think. I know nothing about trade unionism. That might actually be the opposite of what you really should do. I, I think you're supposed to make up like six things that you don't really want, so that you, when you give them up, you look reasonable. Oh, right. That's what happened then. The dolphins were like, oh, what else should we put in here? <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. Double beds. Um, and then they got them. And what they, what they got to do? Give them up? makes them look weak <laughs> they very quickly walked back to their they came in and they went right we're going to name two things we definitely want and a third thing that we'll give up and then they'll we'll give that up and they were like well okay I, I agree with these first two points but what, what's with these demand for exercise bikes uh... <laughs> then a dolphin just right. slammed both flippers down on the table and said don't tell me how to live remember that time the big ship came and you couldn't speak to it because you didn't have any whales any more of this nonsense, land boy? <laughs> we'll be out of here. We'll make our own ships. King-size beds, that's what we'll have. I, I, I do want somebody to write a, a Star Trek novel that is entirely focused on cetacean ops now. Yeah. Now that we've... Because I, I, I want to put this out. that We mentioned in yesterday's Enterprise episode that it gets mentioned over the call-out. So I looked into it. That is the first mention of cetacean ops. And it was kind of included as a joke. However... That picture I used for the thumbnail for the podcast last week, that's from the official like book that they released that's got the blueprints of the Enterprise. So Cetacean Ops is real. Yeah. And it is on board. Yeah, you can't you can't like It's on it's on the Cerritos. Yeah, you can have a go at lower decks and say, Oh, it doesn't count, it's not counting, it's comedy. No. It is a it's a thing. It exists. Accept it and move on. I want someone to write that novel but write it entirely in the dolphin language. Okay, I'm I'm in favour of that, definitely. So, uh, Lol, Data's daughter, yeah. is is better at being uh, than Data because she can do contractions at first, and then when she starts to malfunction, it's like a cascade failure of things. But also, she starts to ex- like experience emotions, yeah, <clears throat> spontaneously, yeah, fear, and then she realizes that she loves her dad, and. It's. I mean, that's. It's fucking sad. Yes, it's, really it's, it's sad. But at the same time, it's absolutely wild that the Federation let Data join Starfleet. That that would be like if we made the, the an amazing artificial intelligence, um, and then decide, and then it decided it just wanted to work at Tesco. <laughs> right. Like it's but also just from a. Like and they not even it's not even that it's if we decided they want to work at a Tesco that was in regular risk of blowing up, yeah. Like and it, and the Tesco was um, a quarter of the time the Tesco was being run by a literal child. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. Is data goes to, I remember this data goes to see uh, Beverly Crusher to get her advice on parenting. Don't need to say any more about that. <laughs> No. 
No, there's there's little. I would go ask somebody who'd raised this, like you know, a seri- a, like raised a decent child. That's what. But um, they took it. I do like the fact that in the episode, like Data, Data kind of shoots down all of Picard's arguments because he's like, oh, it's a, it's there are serious ramifications to creating a life, and he goes, yeah. It's just true of everyone. But <laughs> well, you have no idea what you're doing. It's no, no, nobody does. That's what I understand about parenting. And, it, and like, you can't really come up with a good argument today of why he's not allowed to make more robots. Because it's not like he was making a robot army, which is what I would have done in Data's position. I think I, I would love to be friends with Data, right? I think the problem that I would have with Data, really, is that again he he would come up with things that I couldn't I couldn't argue about and then just his blank expression I think would just make me furious because <laughs> I'd just start arguing around the little circles around myself I I I would fully have punched data multiple times just out of frustration just give me someone no that's not fair I, I like data. data data would be my best mate I would have slapped him at least once, though. Yeah. Just to see what it's like. Yeah, I, I do like... I do have one point about this that I've got to bring up about this episode that does bother me quite a lot. When Lull has died, Data goes back to work. Yeah. Like, immediately. Now, I understand that Data has no emotions and, therefore, no emotional baggage. Yeah. Um that he needs to like deal with. I get that. Understand it completely. But what my problem is, regardless of that specific fact, Starfleet should have a regulation that mandates a certain amount of compassionate leave following the loss of a loved one. If not only for the well-being of the crew member in question, but also operational efficiency. Yeah. Like you might think you're fine to go back to work. In fact, you might think that's a good thing to do, but you're probably not okay, and you might end up making a mistake at a terrible moment. You know, like those planes crashing into each other that time in Breaking Bad, which, weirdly, now I come to think about it, had Q in it, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Q, yeah. Yeah, it was John... Yeah. So, yeah, I just don't think Data should be allowed to go back to... Like, I understand that in his particular case, there should be... It might not apply... But I don't think that should change the rule. No, you have to go on like three months of mandated bereavement leave. Oh, now. Or are kids just more expendable in Starfleet? The Obviously, the Starfleet is in favour of child labour. Mm. Like, we can say that. We know that. With absolute certainty. Yeah. And, you know, you can just, just... You can just replicate a new kid. <laughs> really. What what baffles me is like Data never had a second crack at creating a daughter. Like this one, yeah. I guess I guess he just didn't get on with this one. <laughs> Maybe that's what we can tell is like Data. You can ask the question, can Data love his child? But we overlook the question. Actually, was Data just relieved when it died? It was like, hey, turn up, turn up in engineering. Spoke to Geordie. He's like, weekends in the holodeck back. When did, when does Data get his cat? It's after this, definitely. I I feel that he should have had the cat. Yeah, well, already. it wasn't before this because again, I don't know if you were no. listening earlier, but I explained how <laughs> linear time operates. 
Do you want me to go over that again? I'll get the whiteboard if you want. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when he gets the cat. It's it's some point between now and um, when the Enterprise D crashes. That's all I know. Yeah, some um, point between now and the heat death of the universe. Uh, some point between now and no, I know this. Um, he definitely has it in the episode where Barkley gets a disease that makes everybody on the Enterprise de-evolve. Yeah, because uh, because Spot turns up as a lizard uh, and gives birth to kittens. It's it's an odd episode. Great. Uh, yeah, uh, Wolf gets turned into some sort of beast creature and traces them all through the Enterprise. Fantastic. Yeah, we don't get a lot of Riker in this episode. Just going to say, uh, no, I'm guessing he uh... is busy. He came in behind the camera. He uh, he got off with Data's daughter, and then he left. Yeah, pretty standard I, Riker behaviour, to be honest. I like the fact that Frakes clearly went. We, I would like to direct an episode. Can we script it so there's not much Riker in it? So I don't have to do, you know, both bits. And they wrote the episode, and then they goes, "Well, there's got to be a bit where Data's daughter gets off with someone because she doesn't understand love." Oh. Well, then, well, it has to be Riker, doesn't it? Because yeah. <laughs> that could have been O'Brien. Could have been Troy. I think it could have, could have been, could have been Wolf. Wesley. Well, not Wesley. But shit. <laughs> Why is her getting off with Wesley any less weird than her getting off with Riker? It's it's more that I just don't believe that. I it's just I don't believe that Wesley's got. I don't think that. I don't believe that an android who's looking for more information about the realms of love would look at Wesley and go, that's the guy. <laughs> I can understand why she arrived at the decision to land on Riker. She must have seen the personnel records. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Troy would have been funnier. I agree with that. Uh, especially if Troy being into it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there's a bit in this where um, Lal, obviously she's in like her... her Pre, her pre-release state. Uh, she's in. She's in alpha. Alpha, whatever. I was trying to make a gaming analogy. Doesn't matter, right? She was in. A, she was. She was in. A, she was looking like Crichton. And yeah. you go into the holodeck, and her and Troy are sort of deciding what she's going to look like. So yeah, it comes down to either uh, a human male, a human female, an Andorian female, or a or a, no, an Andorian male or a female Klingon. Yeah. Now, my question would be, how would the Klingons feel about that? Well, my more important question about that particular scene is when she's showing the Klingon body, Troy says, oh, you'd be a friend for Worf. That's not what you would be. That's the All Klingons are friends with each other, are they, Troy? They just all get along. Do they? That's that's racist. That's what that is. Also, you're claiming that Worf doesn't have friends. <laughs> He's got at least half a friend. <laughs> that's Riker's bottom half. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know how the Klingons would feel. I think the Klingons would feel it would like it if you were a Kling- if you if an android chose to be a Klingon. I think the yeah, Klingons would be on board with that. They'd like to find that honourable. I think they'd be like, oh, this thing that is, they've got the strength of a forklift truck. 
has chosen to be part of our culture. I think they'd be on board with that. Actually, yeah, that is a good point. Yeah. 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 Um, You're right. As long as she then and devoted her life to being a warrior. Yeah. Like I, I can't like there's a there's a an episode a few an episode later on I think where a Klingon scientist turns up and I just can't imagine a life more miserable than being a Klingon scientist. It's like technically needed but no. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've, I feel like I've been a bit subdued this episode, but I, I think the problem is that I watched this so fucking long ago that I can't remember anything about it. And I'm waiting for you to bring up points for me to, to go with. But the problem is that you've done exactly the same. So, my, my mind is still on the dolphins. I could talk about Cetacean Ops for <laughs> six hours. Uh, Navig- By the way, I found out navigation is what they're for. Because they're more used to... Uh, flying around three-dimensional water. Or sp- three-dimensional space. Technically, the water is still three-dimensional space. Yeah, but d- my question is, Do all does everybody in Cetacean Ops... Like, if we are accepting the premise that <laughs> the, the staff on Cetacean Ops, the dolphins, are, been, are there and are on board because they've been discovered to be sentient, what if... One of them wants another job, like, like if you've got a workstation that a dolphin could access, which you could design. Yeah, you could make that. That's no trouble. What if one of them wants to be, you know, like, I don't know, like something else on a starship? Like, what if one of them wants to be a doctor? What if one of them wants to just... be the uh, <laughs> the cello player in the band? Well, then they got to fight O'Brien. I think. Um, oh. I, I reckon O'Brien has taken his fair share of ocean life in a fight. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised if he sat down and after his after his eighth Guinness, O'Brien if O'Brien turned around to me and said, "I've I've I I punched a killer whale once," and it wasn't it wasn't even on land, the killer whale had the if advantage, you... and I still did it. <laughs> My 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 thing is that you'd probably want to settle this in something that didn't favour either competitor. So I would say that a triathlon, because the dolphins got the advantage with the swimming, and O'Brien's got the advantage with the running. So it would just come down to who's better on a bike, and then the dolphins going to be gutted that they did give up those exercise bikes as part of the fucking union deal. Region, <laughs> um, how did you feel about? the admiral he wasn't mad or even evil but just a bit of a dick because he had a nice little arc i feel kind of disappointed to be honest (laughs) yeah at the end he tries to help data save his daughter's life because they both agree that lull is impressive bit kit yeah uh and then they're just like uh oh no we worked really hard and she died and now i feel sad and I wish I hadn't tried to kidnap that android's daughter. <laughs> um, Which we can all relate to. It's the universal human experience. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, I guess, I, I, yeah, I guess it's not great that he was, he wasn't a fucking maniac. But that just leads to the question: well, How did he become an admiral then? Maybe he's on medication. Because what? Because because surely the admiral exam is just they give you the Kobayashi Maru again, but you need to cause the most carnage. <laughs> 
Like it's, it's like a yeah. it's like a timer attack. Like they they're like, all right, Kobe Ashimaru, your time starts now, and they press the timer, and you have to have killed the entire crew of the Kobe Ashimaru in the, in the quickest time possible. I reckon it's sub a minute. No, I reckon that what they do is they do something really simple. Like they ask you to bake a cake. Like they say, oh, it's not clear why this is a part of the admiral exam, but it will become clear later. And they leave you in a room to bake a cake for an hour. And if you come back and in the simulation you haven't started at least one intergalactic war, uh, you don't get in. They're like, oh, you just made a cake, mate. No, you're not not got what it takes to be in the admiralty. I reckon they just they say like, listen, look, the admiral's exam. You know the captain's exam is the Kobe Ashimaru. Well, for the admiral's exam, we're going to do. Um, the tro- the a literal trolley problem, right? Because we're in San Francisco, we've got the we've got the old trams, uh, and then they say like we're gonna we're gonna do it in the simulator. Five people on one track that you're heading towards, one person on the other track that you can fucking flip yeah. the switch for, right? Um, and then what they do is uh, an hour before it happens, they say, oh, uh, actually the holodeck at Starfleet Academy has broken down. So we've decided that we're just going to do this for real, and then anyone who shows up gets the ability automatically. <laughs> so anyone who can, if they did the trolley problem in the simulation, it'd be anyone who can get the trolley onto both trucks at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think this is a really good episode for Frakes' first directorial debut. Like, I think there's some good a... performances... I think it's a stellar episode, yeah. Yeah, and it's really quite well shot as well. Because for no reason, Lau is kept in a pod in the ceiling that she descends down from. And I quite like that. <laughs> I don't know what element that was something he had a say in as director. Oh, fuck, wait, that's right. So the first thing that we see is Data... Because they, they, I think it's like Troy and maybe Jordy are walking towards like the the little private engineering room and they open the door and Data turns around and just has an incredibly lifelike human woman's foot in his hand. Yeah. And and then he says, Oh, wait, give me a minute. You you've come in too <laughs> early. Now, my brain if I was Troy, my brain would be going all over the shop, right? Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's right. She comes down from the fucking from the she, the opposite carbonite machine. Is that the first time that we see that thing? Yeah, I've never seen that before. Because they use that again in the uh, uh, is it I am Borg? Is that what they call it? The the one with Hugh. Oh that's right, where they, okay. like Keep him hooked up to the old uh, the old computer. Oh, on a on a genuine note, what's that room fucking for? Building <laughs> kids. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a cupboard that you open and it just has incredibly lifelike human women's feet of every shape and size and color <laughs> and uh and and 90 percent of them have a post-it note on them that says Riker. should we read anything troubling into the fact that uh, allows two human suggestions of who she could be both of them were white people or do you think Data had a word with her where she's like going through the selection? She was like, gonna like choose a black person. And Data was like, don't make it this harder than it's really going to be for you, love. Um. <laughs> yeah. 
definitely. Like, we're still at a point where when uh, Black Captain gets announced for a Star Trek series, people will get really mad online about it. Um, which they did. People got really mad about Ben Sisko. So don't pretend that's new either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think that maybe uh, he, she suggested what haircut she was going to go for. Uh, and Data just said, well, you have to be white now. <laughs> that wouldn't fly anywhere else. <laughs> no, I think she could have pulled off that haircut if she'd gone Asian. It's a, it's a, I just want to say, if you do, do check it out, it's a fucking great episode. Because oh, like, my notes have literally multiple times just got, this is heartbreaking. This is because, like, the, you have the heartbreaking element of like Data as a creature who doesn't experience emotions trying to work out what it means to have a father-daughter relationship and her from the same perspective. And then you've got the whole thing where it's like she's in the corner at school while the other kids bully her. Yeah. And then they're like her observing people and not getting it. And then the first emotion she feels is fear and then she dies. <laughs> like, even by Star Trek standards, you know, that's more tragic than like the life of Ian the Star Child. Yeah. That we <laughs> this is like a Star Trek episode that was written as a as like a parody of just if if there if there was an opposite of a parody if there was a way to write a more like just be like oh it's a parody but it's just a more serious version of all the ridiculous tropes that you have this is that for star trek um, do you reckon that's what happened Frank said I want to direct a, an episode of Star Trek and they were like well if you want to episode, direct an episode we're going to make it by Star Trek Star Trek yeah. that's ever tracked the stars I think Riker said uh, Riker I think Frank said look I have two requests one it has to be the saddest episode we've ever done and two I have to go off with a kid now you're forgetting the third one that I want there to be a prop of a incredibly lifelike and accurate woman's foot that I can take home <laughs> legality on Lau working in 10 forward because like she definitely is a minor has has it ever been brought up about Wesley drinking because surely because Synthahol yeah I don't know I'm assuming Wesley's not served alcoholic beverages yeah I'm assuming that maybe like the young'uns aren't allowed you know, they're, they're allowed in 10 forward until a little bit early. You kick them out maybe about 8 o'clock. Aye, just before the pub quiz starts. Yeah, you let them in for most of the day. just to, So they stay out of other people's hair, you know, for the greater good. But <laughs> I can't see... Yeah, no. I, I, I don't think Wesley's, we've ever seen Wesley pissed, other than that one episode where everybody got pissed. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah. <laughs> I forgot that was an episode. <laughs> Like a really early one. I've been, I've been re, like I've been, as I've been uploading the first season to to YouTube, which is now now all of the first season is available on YouTube. Nice. Check that out. Um, uh, yeah, as I've been going through them, I've been reading uh, my plot synopsis of what we talk about in the episode, and basically, I've been unable to unravel what most of the episodes were actually about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one thing I did want to say. Right, Lau's name is Hindi for beloved. Yeah. And I found that on like Wikipedia before I was watching the episode. 
And then it's mentioned in the episode that Picard has discovered that. Why would you, if you don't understand emotions, name your child that? Why not just call her, like, you know, a ship, like, you know, like Louise? Well, because it's logical, isn't it? Like, it's... No, it, I well here's the thing. I, I don't I don't really understand the context in which you're asking that question. Are you implying that data must have emotions to have made that choice? I'm saying that the name, like I'm saying that it doesn't fit with the naming scheme of the only two other members of his species. Yeah, because one is basically truth and the other one is lies. Yeah, yeah. so he's arrived at that decision separately. Like he could have called her info. Yeah. Or like admin <laughs> oh yeah or bites i don't know something ba- vaguely robotic entry but instead <laughs> i'm data this is entry <laughs> <laughs> and then they could have started a 1980s comedy novel act uh like cannon and ball or little and large um or Dave but and no, yeah i just like <laughs> who were named after the famously named after the dave buster who was a serial killer uh, who stalked Yorkshire in the early 1980s, taking out people called Dave. I thought that you were going to say it was a uh, World War Two project to make a bouncing bomb capable of destroying a Dave uh, <laughs> due to due to a, a mix-up in communication. Um, <laughs> so a telegram, the numbers were... They came through, goes, we need you to destroy a Dav, D-A-E-V, and somebody was like, well, they must mean Dave. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, oh, it's right, diffi- okay. It's difficult to uh, to telegram the umlauts. <laughs> um, no, but the point I was going to say with like the name Lau is, like, it's a fairly obscure name. Like you say, it's Hindi for beloved. And it's weird that Data would have scrolled through all of the names available in all of history and arrived at one that, what first of all, wasn't from a Sherlock Holmes novel. And second of all, is like it represents something that he can't objectively, like, doesn't have a, a, like, a sense of. So I'm not saying it's... I'm just saying it's an odd choice. But it is logical. Like, if he wants to understand human emotions, he knows that people sometimes name their children with what... With an, yeah. a name that the person hopes that they become, which is would be the yeah. which is what he wants. He 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 is make, he's not he makes out that he's making a daughter to like, as you said, but but iron on un, un, unironically, uh, to to be a backup for him, but he's obviously doing it to understand that 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 kind of parental love thing. Yeah, because if he was, if it was just that, then yeah. logically, he'd have no issue with her being taken away. Yeah, even if he logically thinks that he's the best option as the person to raise her, which he is, because yeah. he's the only person who knows about being a robot. But yeah, also because the episode yeah. would have been bad if she'd been called Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> would it? I argue that it would have made it a better episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if Data had gone, this is my daughter, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, who, who are you promoting? It's a difficult one. I think Troy put in a fairly blinder of an episode, even 
even with the casual racism towards Wolfen being mixed with all Klingons. Yep. Um, I'm promoting Troy. I'm uh, promoting Guinan. Yeah, I say Guinan gets a promotion as well. Yeah. I don't think there's anyone that gets a demotion in uh, this episode. Picard almost gets a demotion for forgetting everything that he did in Measure of a Man briefly. Yeah, yeah. But then he does also then later specifically mention the events of Measure of a Man. So he went off it's, and a, it's it. a brief slip. <laughs> Did yeah, check it out on the backups they've got. It's like, oh yeah, no, no, yeah, they are people. Yep. Oh, Forgot about that. Dealt with us already. <laughs> shit. <laughs> but then I was trying to keep a season regular, and now I'm trying to stop there from being another one. Yeah. How do I? <laughs> How do I get out of that ethical quadrant? Oh, don't worry, she's dead. Uh, <laughs> and I'd say I'd, I'd give Data a promotion for the technological breakthrough. Yeah, agreed. But I also, I also think it should take some time off. <laughs> yeah, I, I think an episode with Data on essentially a holiday, because that's what you do with his grieving time. Yeah would be great just get really into relaxation lights <laughs> whatever the fuck they do <laughs> <laughs> right yeah good episode great episode give it a watch stay on it yeah give it a shout yeah yeah anyway boy boy I am going to use that bit from the beginning as the gold open <laughs> yeah <laughs> The Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at EdEdwardsComedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.